We're so excited to share with you today the interview with the oldest golden retriever in the world, at least currently, Augie and her dad, Steve. Please make sure that you watch the entire interview because we're going to unpack the information that he shared with us at the very end. Thanks for joining us. All right, here we go in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Mind Jam podcast. And we are so excited about today's episode. We have with us this incredible story, this golden retriever who has broken the internet over the last 48 hours. I mean, there's just stories surfacing from everywhere from this incredible soul named Augie. And with us is her dog dad, Steve Hedersheet, all the way from Oakland, Tennessee with us. Steve, hello, and thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Steve, why don't you start off and give us the background about how Augie came into your life? My wife and I were members of the Golden Retriever Rescue Southern Nevada that's out of Las Vegas. And she was the intake director. She was also one of the founding members of that organization. And uh, we had a quest come in saying that there was a, a lady that had to give up her Golden Retriever. She fell upon hard times and ended up having to go into a facility. She had gotten Augie when Augie was seven years old from a Craigslist ad in Sioux City, Iowa. They transferred vet records then, you know, that showed when her, you know, vaccinations were given and everything. And that had her date of birth on it. It's kind of unfortunate with the way that we required, acquired her, we didn't really have a whole lot of information that those things that you'd be interested in, as in like what kind of foods was she eating then and what her medical history before we had her, but we just don't know any of that. We, we just don't really have, we have very little information from before, you know, when she was 14 years old. All we knew is like the food that she ate on the, on the form that she filled in, they said that she was eating Alpo. We were uh, figured a 14 year old dog, there's not going to be a lot of people that really want to adopt a dog where you're only going to have a dog for a short time because the normal lifespan is 10 to 12 for a golden retriever. So we started off with what they called a forever foster, where she was still a ward of the, of the rescue. But after a couple of years, when we found out it looks like she's going to be hanging out for a while here, that we went ahead and adopted her. So she was ours then, and she's been a part of the family there. And it's just, you know, amazingly, this 14-year-old dog, we got another six years out of her. She's been incredible. Prior to you acquiring Augie, were there any notable health conditions or any issues, or was she pretty healthy that first seven years and then the second owner pretty healthy yet again, or, or has she had some typical golden things, allergies, hypothyroidism, or not so much? She has occasionally, very rarely had problems with ear infections, and if you have golden retrievers, you know that they're, they're, it's pretty common for them to get, to get ear infections. And when she first came in, she... She had blood work done and she had a little bit of, of uh, stage one out of four, you know, kidney dysfunction when she first came in. And we put her on KD Hill Science Diet that, that's a canned food, like a stew, that she likes a, a several different kinds of that. And then we just have the KD hard kibble that we'll just put a little bit in that too. So uh, she's been eating that the whole time we've had her and it's gone up a little bit. It's gone up to a stage two, but the vet says that with a dog this age, that there's <laughs> there's absolutely nothing nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so she's been incredibly healthy, and we just said that it was just good genes, you know, that she just keeps plugging along. 
Besides the KD, which of course is a lower protein diet that's specifically formulated to help support dogs with kidney issues, are you giving her anything else besides KD or just, just food? You know, we'll do some stuff too where we'll get like, you know, a rotisserie chicken or something like that and, and she'll get some of that on top bananas. of her. On, and she likes to eat bananas. We have a garden had like blueberries. The blueberries are coming out now and all of our dog, dogs love blueberries. And she will take, a, we have her on Cosequin and she doesn't really show any signs of, of being in pain at all or limping or anything like that. Do any of your dogs self-forage from your garden? Do you ever find them out there making their own selections? Yep. Our uh, Belle, she's seven years old. We had a picture of her that we put up a, a fence that was about three foot high around our tomatoes when we were in Las Vegas, the cherry tomatoes. And we got a thing on her on her hind legs up on that fence eating the, eating the cherry tomatoes. And these dogs will eat, they'll eat anything. You know, like I was out picking some green beans yesterday, and our other uh, dog here, Bruce, was right there beside me on them, taking a few of the raw green beans there and break them off and giving them to him. He's eating them. They will eat anything, anything that you take out of the garden, put in front of them, they'll eat it. A lot of the longest lived dogs in the world have shared the table with their owners. So they get the rotisserie chickens and, you know, blueberries is so very high in antioxidants and bananas so very high in potassium, a really good prebiotic. A lot of these people that we talk to, pet owners who have these long lived pets, a little bit of caloric restriction has always come into play where they where the owners have been pretty finicky about like how much a dog eats or they they'll count out the exact scoops that go into a bowl some people feed once a day some people feed twice a day can you give us a little bit of background on that like what's feeding time in your home look like yeah well i don't know where this when this finally switched but it went from when we were telling them when to eat when they're like telling us when they want to eat they still eat twice a day and they all have a specific amount that they eat you know, that we have, like I say, we measure, you know, we have a scoop where they get a specific amount of food every day. And our dogs might be just a little bit overweight, but no one is like really heavy. And Augie has always been, has always been pretty thin, but she'll eat twice a day too. It's silly to ask what a golden retriever's favorite food is because the answer is all food. Most goldens just live to eat and they just love anything. But does she have a favorite food or no? Yeah, well, the on on a whole, if you want a whole class of food that uh, Jennifer says that has always said that Augie is a is a bread junkie, that she likes uh, she really likes any bread thing, and she's she's pretty hard of hearing too. I mean, if you want to get her attention, you really have to yell. But if you go and open up a bread thing, that she's she's like right there, you know, she's looking around. And but for one thing, it's probably blueberry muffins. She just loves. She loves blueberry muffins. Uh, she sounds like me. She sounds like me. I love both of those things. <laughs> Goldens usually are bottomless pits, and many, many golden retriever owners struggle to maintain their golden's weight. So good for you for helping to, to maintain her weight. That's the one of the pieces that research is very, very clear on, that lean animals of any mammal, whether it's humans or dogs, that keeping them lean is one of the best ways to extend lifespan. So good for you because people say, but they're just so hungry and it's sometimes really hard. It's, it's you know, actually, why don't you tell us? You have four Goldens that probably are constantly telling you how they're just almost starving to death and you just end up having to practice tough love. Uh, well, you know, a lot of it is is if you get into a habit, it's it's not going to be that bad. 
you know, if you put up with the begging or whatever for a while, you know, they're eventually going to know that they're not going to be getting a whole bunch of whole bunch of extra treats and stuff. Well, but they'll get things like if I have a yogurt container, you know, that one of them will get that to, you know, to lick out the yogurt container. Just some stuff that are like little treats that don't really add a whole lot of caloric intake, you know. So in addition to genetics, we know that there are some lifestyle variables. In fact, one of the things we've looked at in human blue zones is there's kind of this trifecta of things that long-lived humans do that potentially could play into dog longevity. So let's talk first about her, her exercise. What have you and Jennifer done, Steve, in terms of joint support or exercise. Tell us a little bit about uh, Augie's physical life. We've had a lot of golden retrievers and as you know, there's a lot of them have problems with their hips. Augie right now is wobbly, but she doesn't seem to have a, has never had a limp or anything. So as far as the exercise thing, when we first got her, she loved to swim in the pool. We have a picture of her jumping off the side of the pool to retrieve a ball out of our pool. And she would bring the ball back and take the ball and throw it out and she'd go swim out. She'd go back and forth. There was sometimes an hour, an hour and a half. So she was at that time, and I, I thought that was something that really attributed to her longevity was she exercised so much, you know. She could walk for two miles then too. We have two and a half acres here and we'll go out for a walk. You know, we go out for a walk around the property here, take a loop of it. Will she still go out and, and gently do some walking with you, or is she just... No, huh? yeah, she'll do that. She'll, she'll go out and walk around the property, and you got to coax her along, but then we turn around, come downhill, and she's fine and is happy to do that. It's, it's really fascinating to hear all that exercise, Steve. When we've been interviewing some of these long-lived dogs, you know, one of our most popular interviews with Brian McLaren, he was a dairy farmer a few years back. He had a 32-year-old Kelpie named Maggie. And again, like Maggie's a, is a very, very, very famous story in Australia. And he would tell us that as a dairy farmer, that dog would literally walk from one end of the farm to the other end of the farm. And that was, sometimes was like a 10 kilometer walk twice a day, a few days a week, right? And when you put that into perspective with today, a lot of people's perception of what exercise looked like, a lot of people will tell you, well, I have a, like a small fenced in backyard and I, I just kind of let the dog, you know, just kind of like walk around in the, in the backyard and he gets a lot of exercise. That's a lot of exercise. So it's awesome to hear that your dog an hour to an hour and a half in the swimming pool and walking around acres of lots. And I was reading an article where they quoted your wife, Jennifer, saying that motion, what is it? Motion is lotion, which was a incredible quote, I might add, because you will see it everywhere. Longevity and exercise go hand in hand. They marry together very well. Okay, on to a rich social life. So talk to us a little bit about Augie's interaction with other dogs. The fact that you've been in rescue, I'm assuming you probably have, if not more than one dog, Augie probably has regularly had exposure to other dogs. So what's her social life been like? We've had varying numbers of dogs. We have four golden retrievers right now. We've had moms that have come in that have had puppies. So there were times that we had like 13 dogs at a time in our house <laughs> with a mom and puppies and with our, with our own dogs. So we did have dogs coming in all the time. We didn't really foster dogs, but when Jennifer was the, she was the intake director for a dog would, 
would come in and might spend the night and then go to the vet the next day or something like that. So so we did have a lot of golden retrievers that were coming and going. She gets along great. She's never really played with other dogs. You know, we have our two of our dogs will go and wrestle around, play bitey fish and stuff, but but she she hasn't really done that, but they're all together all the time and everyone gets along great. She's got along great with everyone. We also had a cat that passed away a few years ago. His name was Jinx. It was also pretty old, too. She was 20 when she passed away. And these two would lay down together. And we'd have these two old ladies just relaxing together on the sofa. <laughs> One of the things too that marries very well with longevity is a stress-free life. And so usually dogs that have a lot of anxiety or people with a lot of anxiety or depression or so on and so forth, sadly, they don't seem to live a very long time. How, how would you rate Augie, when it comes to stress, is she a fearful dog? Is she Does she seem like a stress-free, no-worry type of dog? Can you explain to us that? She is the textbook definition of a mellow dog. There is like nothing, there is nothing that bothers her. You know, we'll have like fireworks or, or thunder and, you know, a couple of our dogs will, they'll go hide when that starts. You know, weird things that will touch a dog's off like a grocery bag blown in the wind or something like that, you know, will make a, a dog fearful. She, we have never seen anything like that out of, out of Augie. There's been nothing that, that spooked her. When myself and my wife retired three years ago, we sold our house in, in full-time RV for almost a year. So we traveled all around the country and we were, you know, going to a bunch of different campgrounds and you know, you meet a bunch of other dogs at the dog parks they had and a lot of different experiences. And like I said, there was just nothing. There was nothing that, that, that seemed to phase her ever. I mean, you traveled around in an RV, like basically Augie got to see and experience so many different scents and sights. Was she a, was she a sniffer? Did she like to go out and smell around, smell her environment a lot? We, we talked to a lot of scientists who say how important it is in a dog's life to be able to sniff. She's not so much that way. She does it occasionally, but but she's really good at sniffing for food. I mean, you can tell when you're when you got something going on that her her head goes up, and you know that she's that she smells that there's a there's some food around. She's good at that. You know, it's 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 very common for older dogs to lose their hearing. But isn't it interesting how their sense of smell actually? I think improves because oftentimes their hearing and vision diminish. And so their nose works forever. And sometimes her, her nose probably works exceptionally well right now, especially in the blueberry muffin category. Uh, that's right. <laughs> She's probably got a big sensor that lights up there in her brain whenever the blueberry muffin thing comes up. Sleep is another aspect that we have found that researchers tell us is very important. Would you say that since you have rescued Augie, that she's been a, when she goes to sleep, she sleeps soundly. She's not a dog that paces around. She's not up all night. That when she sleeps, she's a really good sleeper? Yes, that is true. She is when she she goes to bed, she's there, you know, until we're ready to get up in the morning. You know, she, she won't move until someone else gets up and starts moving around. There has been mention that graying is, of course, natural and happens. I'm wondering about... Augie's beautiful silver face highlights. When you adopted her at 14, like if we were to see a picture at 14 versus 20, is she about as beautifully silvered in the face as she was? Or do you feel like she's 50% more? How, how gray was she when you first rescued her compared to now? 
basically no difference. She might have been a little bit less white in the face, but she was really just like this, you know, a lot of just that white face. And it's interesting because many red golden retrievers, they tend to get first kind of white eyebrows and then kind of white all around the eyes and then beautiful highlights around nose and mouth. But and that tends to happen progressively with age. And then there are Goldens whose kind of whole face, they've got this beautiful countenance of all white, like Augie. And those dogs tend to turn white younger and it doesn't tend to progress. Their whole face turns white and then it's set. Whereas this age-related progression of silver that has been linked in Europe to have a stress response tends to be more age-related onset. It appears that Augie is not in that category, that she has the genetically predisposed white face, which is not linked to any type of stress. And that also corroborates what you have mentioned, that she has been one of the most even keel, stress-free, easygoing girls that you've ever had the pleasure of rescuing. So that that makes sense to me that her beautiful whiteness is genetic only and has nothing to do with an anxiety or stress response because she's she's pretty darn chill. Mm -hmm. Yep, she is. Something really interesting that we found was when we were interviewing all these long-lived dogs that it seemed like a lot of them had a delayed spay or neuter. They weren't spay or neutered like at a very, very young age. So some of them were like two or five or uh, Maggie, the 30-year-old dog, was 15 before she did. And you might not know the answer, but I'm so curious. Did it say on her records if, if she was like delayed by a year or two or anything like that? That would have been like in, you know, would have been in the first seven years and we wouldn't have any information on that. So you're saying that if they waited later on the spay or neuter that they lived longer? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there, there's a ton of research right now that's coming out, especially in the way of uh, just all animals in general. They lost the protection from cancer when spayed too early or neutered too early, that if people waited a little bit longer, you know, a lot of golden retrievers now in their contracts will put at least like 18 months to two years. Now they're, they're pushing it a little bit further. And when we were speaking to all of these long lived pets, all of them seem to be delayed a, a little bit longer than normal, they're like two or five or uh, Maggie, the 30 year old dog was 15 before she did. Steve, tell me about what has been just over the last week, a massive explosion all over the internet. What's it been like for your family, for you and Jennifer and the dogs, like this last week with this media frenzy? Uh, it has been pretty unbelievable, to say the least. We are uh, getting messages from Facebook from people, and it has been just unbelievable the things with the big, you know, CNN and CBS and uh, BBC, uh, Al Jazeera, the whole world. I got messages from someone in Buenos Aires, Australia, and in Italy, and it just it just coming in from coming in from all over. This is inspiring to every dog lover around the world that you have a beautiful, rescued, happy, generally healthy, incredibly old golden retriever. There's so much to celebrate here, and we're just so thankful that you have shared her story with us. Well, we're happy to do it. Thank you so much for everyone who tuned in and listening to the incredible story of Augie. And I'm sure we'll be back next year when Augie's 21 and the whole world can celebrate again. Thank you so much, Steve, and to Jennifer and to all the Goldens in your home and to everyone who's watching. And we'll see you all again. Well, there you have it. The much anticipated full length interview with Augie. First of all, I want to thank everybody that reached out to me because I mean, like, Everybody was messaging me when this broke and the news broke. I love 
when you guys tag me on these articles, because I mean, literally within seconds, Dr. Becker will tell you, like, I'm literally texting her, oh my gosh, we got to hook this interview up and we're messaging back and forth with B and, and all the cool admins and everyone that came together to put this interview together. Now, I did, I did want to talk about this because I took some heat over the last couple of days for posting the preview to Augie. Did you see that? Oh, I did see it. And in fact, I I had a few people um, that just put in the comment sections, I, I can't believe that you're supporting this. And I thought, you know, it brings up so many issues. One of them is that, my gosh, just regardless of the details of her life, which can be criticized or supported, whatever, but I mean, she's 20. Like that in and of itself, I, I feel like sometimes people, people miss the joy of the moment uh, in an attempt to be right. And that saddened me a little bit. Yeah. And so to, of course, give a little bit of context to what we're talking about, if you haven't seen it in the comment section, you know, there, there's some tribes of people in different like groups, uh, nutrition groups that were, let's just say they lost interest very quickly in the story when they found out um, Augie's diet over the last six years. Uh, you know, she had the kidney issues and Brian and his uh, wife went to the vet and they put that dog on a, on a of course, uh, a kibble and a canned food, the KD that they had mentioned. And I think this put a lot of the sort of like the food warriors off, right? The biggest fear is, hey, man, if people see this, everybody's going to go rushing to like their clinics and buying these uh, processed foods because they think that this is what's going to extend longevity. And man, I think that's really sad. Like it's, it's a very narrow-minded way of thinking because like there's so many things to unpack in this story and there as you like all the different questions that you were asking right because there's so yeah. like longevity is a multitude of things my gosh and i think most importantly some i think yes i agree with everything that you said i had a, i had a couple of comments where people said you know dr becker i'm appalled you know i know how you feel about prescription diets and yet you are posting and you're going to share a video where a dog was fed a prescription diet my goodness First of all, above all, we have a 20-year-old dog. Of course, it brings into question what is she eating and what is her lifestyle, but it also brings into question what are those unbelievable genes she has in her body that allowed her to eat KD and keep going. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing in and of itself. So I think part of part of the response to this interview is based on each human's personality, if you are by nature tend to be critical and a little judgmental, there's all sorts of things you could shred about the owners, what they're doing, what they're not doing. But my goodness, I think first and foremost, it's really important to recognize that if you've got good DNA, you know, George Burns, the example my dad uses all the time is that George Burns lived to be 100 I think doing a shot of whiskey and smoking a stogie every day, those were not the lifestyle variables that got him to 100. He went to 100 because he had really resilient, strong DNA yeah. with no SNPs, no genetic polymorphisms that created disease potential. That's amazing. So good DNA goes a long way. And Rodney, we're halfway through writing the Forever Dog book. And one of the things that we're talking about in the book pretty heavily is that Research used to say DNA accounted for 20 to 30 percent of longevity, and we know that that's not true. It's less than 10 percent, but the fact is that 10 percent is super important. If you have 10 percent fatal genes or deleterious bad genes in your dog, if you do everything right, that 10 percent of highly mutated DNA is still going to kill your dog. The difference is if you do nothing and allow DNA express itself, it will express itself early and your dog could die between two and three of terrible things that are genetically induced. 
it does matter what you do in those situations if you want that dog with a set of poorly dealt DNA cards to go to 10 or 8. The problem is none of us know what DNA cards our dogs or cats are holding. So when you think, oh my gosh, I have a thriving dog, I'm doing everything right, I'm minimally vaccinating, I delayed spay and neuter, I'm feeding an all-organic fresh food diet, oh my gosh, how did I get a diagnosis at eight that my dog has some heinous disease? Those experiences, which I think many of us have had, bring us to our knees and they make us think, you know what, why am I why am I doing any of this? Just forget it. I did all this and my dog still died at six or seven or eight. When that's a glass half full viewpoint. And I get it. I think by nature, all of us go there. But the flip side of that coin is if I didn't do everything that I did, I would have lost my dog much, much sooner. And we tend to not view life that way. And that's the point that I guess it's impossible to make in those little texting bars uh, on social media when they say, I can't believe you're supporting KD. How do you explain to people that these issues, when you have that teeny tiny, you know, three sentences, it's a hard go. Uh, For me, food was everything when we were first doing, when we first on this journey, right? I mean, for me, when I was first on my journey, I should say, I thought nutrition was absolutely everything. Like literally it was, you know, I, I remember interviewing some people that were experts, no name calling, that would say to me, if you uh, feed a dog a specific diet, they'll never get cancer. Or if you speed yeah. a dog, if you feed a dog a specific diet, they're going to live forever. And, you know, those are just things that aren't absolutely true. You learn the hard way as a pet parent, you become devastated. Yes, nutrition is critical. And, you know, we talked and spoke to a lot of professionals and geneticists you know, the Broad Institute, like you're, you're correct, 10% of, you know, 10%, especially when it comes to cancer, that 10, 10% of it that they believe is genetics, 90% is environment and lifestyle induced. It was so fascinating, the experts that we spoke to in the breeding world that would say that in our world, in the, in the canine model, I would, you know, I would say the genetics is probably like a bigger picture. I know Steve Brown would tell you it's the one third, one third, one third rule. I mean, a great example is, you know, you and I talk about it all the time, genetic deletion. What happens if you just don't even have the gene? Right? Yeah. And, and, and in those situations, Rodney, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you avoid all chemicals and your dog is the least stressed creature on the planet and you're feeding this amazing diet. If they don't have the DNA to make certain enzymes for certain critical biochemical reactions, That's your dog and cat is going to die young, period, like hard stop yeah. period. And that is that is devastating. Yeah. It's devastating yeah, that, for pet that, parents. It's a huge problem, but you know, on that same note, longevity even for humans. I mean, it's multifactorial. You know that. And what I love about this journey and the forever dog, and you know, to the traveling and the writing and the research and the studying, is trying to like sort of unpack all of these different factors that we can take and put into our toolbox. Right? Make that toolbox bigger. And so when a dog like this presents itself globally, worldwide. And one of those boxes, the nutrition box, isn't checked the way that we want it. This is where that term paradoxicality really comes into play that, you know, where you're self-contradicting yourself. So as a storyteller, a researcher, a scientist, you know one thing to be true. And then here comes this paradoxical story of this dog that's on something like ultra processed food, lives to be 20. Yeah, there's a huge body of people that will say, hey, I'm not going to tell this story. I'm not going to tell this story because, um, first of all, it contradicts everything I say, so it's going to make me look bad. And then secondly, 
Uh, I don't want to give people the, you know, the false impression. That's not you and I, that we've never been like that, right? Yeah. It's about sharing information, unpacking it and saying, look, here are some of these incredible um, feats that this dog has gone through. Yeah. And you went through some awesome questions in that interview, by the way, trying to unpack, like just playing detective with your magnifying glass, trying to, you know, you only have a small body of time to do that interview and trying to get all that information as fast as you can. But, you know, one of the things that I, I would leave people with or, you know, the, the most important part of this, and it's a future interview that you and I are doing, it's going to be in the book, and that's Methuselah dogs, right? These animals that have these genes that are given to them that potentially will drive them into their 20s. And so what I want you guys to think about, to mull over after this interview, whether you're walking your dogs or your cats or do whatever you're doing. Think about this. If you have a dog or a cat that has a specific subset of genes in their body that can give them the ability to live double any other animal, and then you knew with the, thing, the things that you're learning now, like diet, like sleep, like stress, like uh, social life, if you were to able to take all of these tools and put it on top of those genes that can extend, let's say, a dog's lifespan into his 20s, you have the potential to push it into the 30s like Maggie. And if you're missing some of those tools, well, then maybe that dog only lives to be 20 because they were giving those those very powerful genes. And that's what I think that's very important in this story. What, so if one day we are all blessed with dogs with these Methuselah genes, these 20-year-old genes that can extend our animals' lives, would you not want to know all of the other cofactors that are involved My potentially gosh. getting that dog to live to be 30? That, I think that that summarizes it beautifully, that because we don't know the card deck of DNA within our dogs and cats, it could be, yep, they're carrying those fatal genes, but we have the potential to double their lifespan even yet through environmental in, environmental changes, making sure that we're doing everything except altering their DNA because we can't to extend their lifespan. Likewise, if you have dogs that have Methuselah genes, I got Sooty, my childhood dog, to go to 19 eating kibbles and bits. And I thought for a long time about never telling Sooty's story because we fed him kibbles and bits. And I didn't want to deal with the backlash of, well, how, my gosh, you know, I can't believe it. Or what? I mean, I was, you know, 19 for crying out loud at the time when he was 19, literally. <laughs> Actually, I was not. I was 26 when he was 19. But still, I grew up with this dog who we didn't know anything about dog nutrition and we fed him the, the food we could afford. I tell that story for that reason. Everyone that's listening or that could be listening thinking, you know what? I can't even afford Katie. I have a dog in kidney failure, but I can't afford Katie. It doesn't mean we don't try. And there's still so many things. Sooty went to 19, not because of his kibbles and bits or because of his, it's actually gravy train that we fed him. It wasn't gravy, team, gravy train that extended my dog's life. It was all of the other variables that we were right. unknowingly doing that got him to 19. Just imagine if we could have fed Sooty Sooty had Methuselah genes. If we would have fed him appropriately, Sooty would have been a 30-year-old dog. So the fact that we don't know the DNA lurking in our dogs, we go back to do the best you can, not just with the money you have, but with the information you have. And it's clear that Augie's dad was listening to his conventional vet who recommended KD. And in my opinion, KD is better than regular dry supermarket dog food if you have a dog in kidney failure. So Steve was doing the best he could with the knowledge he had. And I think rather than attacking him for not doing better, we could celebrate the fact that I think he has a dog with Methuselah genes. We're doing a DNA test now to find out. If Augie has those genes, the potential was there for him to go another potential decade 
if environmental factors, including food, could or would be shifted. So I think perspective, a whole lot of grace and extension of kindness and patience and support to people who aren't yet maybe where we're at with uh, how we feed and why we feed, I think is really important as well. That we have the ability to be inclusive in these situations and not attack people that are doing things differently because of their lack of knowledge or just because they're choosing to approach life differently. The fact is, our dogs and cats have a set of genes that we can nurture and maximize maximize lifespan, even if the DNA is going to end in early dog and cathood death because of genetics we can't change. I still think we have an ethical obligation to do everything we can. That's my take on that. But so lastly, your, your favorite part of this interview, because my favorite, I mean, there's many things in this story, um, you know, as a longevity junkie that I was like, oh my gosh, I think that the biggest thing that fascinated the heck out of me is I really want to know about exercise. I really wanted to know, you know, and to go back to your dog, Sooty, and you, you know, you told me, and your mother told me that that dog was like walked miles and miles a day. There's another example of like crazy exercise. But yeah. to see this dog, that photo, I sent you that photo of yeah. the dog jumping off of the pool at 14 years old, just looking at, you know, just looking at the form of the dog diving into the pool to go get the tennis ball at 14. How many 14-year-old dogs do you know? Or how many like 100-year-old humans would you see with that perfect diving form? Just the strength in that dog was mind blowing to me and an hour and a half swimming. I, yep. You know, this is just so like, it, it just marries so well with all of these other dogs and these dog owners that we've interviewed that have had, you know, these extra long lives um, and the amount of exercise that I'm getting. My favorite yeah. part. My favorite part uh, was you could, you could almost tell from her countenance when you look at her that she was a grounded, really happy dog, but so peaceful and calm. You could see that just easygoing spirit in her. And I do think, so my, I was interested in, in the information that she was rehomed twice, that she came out of Sioux City, Iowa uh, in a Craigslist ad. And then, so that had to be incredibly, whatever those circumstances were, highly stressful to anything that has been, you know, rehomed and then going through a second rehoming with probably a dear wonderful woman who ended up in nursing in a nursing home also uh, so two pretty big life stressors for this dog and yet she clearly has handled it not with long-term ptsd stress because she's 20 and and still going my takeaway was what can we be doing for dogs that um stress in an insurmountable stress heartbreak my mama had told me from the time i was a little girl you know heartbreak is unavoidable you're going to have it it's how you respond and how quickly you get back up is what set is makes the difference between you being a victim and you recovering after heartbreak and it was clear to me that augie recovered well after her trauma and so my thought was what can we be doing for dogs that it's not if they have emotional trauma it's when what can we be doing as guardians owners fosters rescues to help minimize long-term emotional damage from pretty profound emotional stressors because whatever i think augie's personality was part of it but what what can we be doing as guardians to help animals recover from the PTSD that they incur? Because I think that that really plays into lifespan more than we think about. 
Well, there you have it. I really hope that you guys uh, enjoyed the Augie interview. There'll be many more of these interviews. Hopefully, the universe keeps blessing us with these long-lived pets so we can keep bringing them. Until next time, we'll see you in the next episode.